Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak with some of the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and thanks for joining us for another episode. In this episode, we're speaking with Dan Greenhouse, the Chief Economist and Strategist at Solus Alternative Asset Management based in New York City. We're discussing a strategy where they manage special events and situations where companies in distress, they invest via debt or equity and turn those companies around to gain a return. That strategy over the last five years has returned more than 12.7% compound annual growth rate. I hope you enjoyed the discussion and please remember to provide all your feedback. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Dan, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thank you for having me. Dan, perhaps you could kick off in just giving us a little bit of a background on yourself and uh, what got your interest in investing? Sure, so um, I have worked on Wall Street more or less for the better part of, I think, about 15 years or so. I'd have to go back and double check. Uh, I have more or less always found investing interesting and it really began with sort of my secret double life in being a retail analyst. And what I mean by that is somewhere along the way in my teens, I realized that McDonald's wasn't selling you a hamburger or, or J. Crew wasn't selling you a shirt, they were selling you a product. And you as a consumer wanted that product more than you wanted the cash in your pocket. And when I talk to, to young kids in colleges, I always use the iPhone as an explanation for the essence of capitalism, that I want this iPhone more than I want my $1,000. And Apple wants uh, my $1,000 more than all the time and effort and innovation and everything that went into making this iPhone. And from there, uh, just sort of investing somewhat naturally followed. It wasn't a straight line, it was a jagged line, but, but, uh, but investing was always sort of interesting to me on that front. And I think a lot of people are susceptible, for lack of a better word, to first thinking about investing through the, I think it was Bill Miller who said, buy what you know. Um, and I think a lot of people sort of came to investing that way. And I've had a couple of jobs on Wall Street, primarily in the strategist capacity. Uh, and now here at, at, at Solus Autonomous Asset Management, I basically keep an eye on uh, the macro. If you, um, if you follow American football, I'm sort of the, the blindside uh, offensive tackle protecting the quarterback from something that he's not seeing. And that's in essence what I do here. I keep an eye on the bigger picture and sort of help the PMs get a, a better view of the investment landscape. And the hope is that the investment process is done more efficiently, more productively, and, and, and the end ultimately returns are better because you have this sort of holistic view of the market. Okay. All I need to uh, decipher that for our Australian sure. uh, our listeners. I did say American football. In, in that um, I know some of them will have seen Sandra Bullock and they'll kind of understand that the blind side is the guy who protects the key playmaker. That's right. Um, so you're, you're, you're protecting those guys. So that makes sense. So give us a little bit of an explanation of Solar Solace, what it does, who it is, its history, etc. Sure. So we've been around uh, in one capacity or another for, I think, about 15 years uh, with Chris Pacillo, who's the current CEO and CIO, uh, at the head for, for the duration. And in essence, what we do is we're what's called an alternative investment manager, and we have a special, uh, a special interest in what's called distressed debt, uh, high-yield distressed special situations. And what we do is in, in contrast to what you normally think of when you think of investing, that is to say, you go out and you do the work on IBM or Microsoft, and you say, okay, Microsoft is trading at $43 a share. I think it's worth $53 a share. I'm going to buy it in, in 
in the hopes and under the assumption that it's going to go to where I think it should be, we usually come to an investment after some trouble has befallen them. And uh, uh, the tr today, I think the, the easy way to explain this is what's going on in retail globally, but particularly in the United States. There are a host of retailers in, in the United States uh, that, are, that are in trouble now as shopping patterns have changed. Millennials don't want to go to stores as much. They want something uh, that's called experiential. They want to walk into a place and feel like they're doing something other than just browsing the racks and picking out clothes. And, and, and while that, that, cha that change has occurred, you have something like Amazon coming to, to market, offering everything from toilet paper to t-shirts to skis, and I don't have to go anywhere. I can order five of them. I can try on whatever I want and send it back. And so you've had a tremendous change in retail, and the result of this has been a, uh, a sea change in the way consumers interact with, with retailers. In particular, we're going to the mall less. And in an environment in which the US is dramatically overstored and consumer behavior is changing, this has caused a tremendous problem for a host of US retailers, many of which have entered bankruptcy. And that's where we come into play. We have not done anything to these companies. We have not touched them. We have not interacted with them. We have not done anything to cause them the problems in which they currently find themselves we show up and actually we're sort of a firefighter. Their house is on fire and we try to help them put that out. Oftentimes that's a painful process whether we're involved or not, but in essence what distressed debt is, is we come to an investment that's in trouble, we try to fix up the company and then we release it like a little dove back into, the, back into its own environment and it can flourish on its own. And so how, how do you profit out of that situation? Uh, Talk through the mechanics. So it's it's a it's a fairly complicated process uh, to say the least. It is it is often time consuming. Uh, it is often litigious, uh, but in the end, it can be profitable because ultimately, because the company is already in trouble by the time we get there. Uh, whereas I had in the previous example, I had mentioned Microsoft was trading at forty something dollars, and we thought it was going to fifty dollars. In our instance, using that same example, although not exactly a perfect reference, mm -hmm. Microsoft wouldn't be trading at 40-something dollars, it would be trading at 4-something dollars. Mm -hmm. the, the stock price of the company would be very low, or the debt of that company would be trading at a very low price, sometimes as low as 10, 20, 30 cents on the dollar. And so in terms of how it can be profitable, when we show up, let's use that example I just said, when we show up, the debt of the company is trading at 30 cents on the dollar meaning our downside is limited to just 30 cents. The lowest the, the debt that, that we're talking about can go is zero, so we can lose 30 cents, but we can make, if we do things right, as much as 70 cents. And so from a profitability standpoint, it can be incredibly lucrative because you are coming to, to an investment with a, a fair bit of upside. Now, it's not always 30 down, 70 up, as I just described. Sometimes it's 50-50, and, and sometimes the balance is shifted in either direction. But ultimately, if you do things right, and you restructure a company and help them get back on their feet, it can be incredibly profitable, both from a, a nominal standpoint, as I just mentioned, that is to say you can make the 70 cents. But if you do it fairly quickly, uh, it can be profitable over a short horizon as well. You don't have to wait for a cycle to turn. You don't have to wait for a company's product to come to market, for the, for the consumers to understand it and then buy it. Uh, you're just simply helping restructure a company that is in trouble helping it be in less trouble. And that can be a fairly short process, it can be long, but if you do it correctly, it can be profitable over a short period of time, and I think ultimately that's the primary driver of our returns. And typically when you say a short period of time or a longer period of time, what are we talking about there? Six to 18 months. I think it's, it's fair to say that on, on the shorter end, six months is a, 
a right time frame. I, I don't know that that's the usual occurrence. I'll set the over under 12 to 14 months. Okay. Sometimes you get involved in a process, you can be done with it in as little as, as a few months, let's say six months. Other times in the larger structures, uh, you can be involved for as much as 12 to 24 months, depending on um, the complexity and the size of the company. If the company involved has 15 billion US dollars in debt, uh, that's presumably going to be a more difficult process for a number of reasons than if it has $1.5 billion in debt. And can you talk us through an example um, of that type of scenario that, that you've entered into and it's played out? Sure. So a, a recent example in the United States that, that involved virtually everybody that does what we do is, is the, uh, the Caesars Company, which is a casino operator. Uh, it used to be Harris, and uh, c casinos are often very highly levered, Caesars b being no example, um, and they recently entered uh, the bankruptcy process. And uh, they had many, many billions of dollars of debt, and the process took, uh, I think, a little longer than some people expected because so many people are involved. There are so many hands in the pot. There are so many lawyers. There's so many lawyer fees to be earned by people. Um, that, yes, that's correct. That the, the process took uh, quite some time, but for a structure that large and that complicated, it's not entirely unusual. And you have people that are sort of shifting around where they're invested, how they're invested in the process, and that's uh, part of the complexity. Uh, but, but when all is said, said and done, Caesars is now uh, more or less a, a publicly traded company. Um, another company has been born out of the process. Uh, and, and I think everybody's happy with how that process went and unfolded. Uh, we are now, uh, we meaning the distressed community, is more or less done with that investment. And that's a good example of one of the more complex structures and, and restructurings that occurred recently. And again, it involved just about everybody who does what we do. And the type of uplift or return that that would earn to the firm or investors would be? I don't want to say specifically what we earned on it. I think we're sort of a little um, hesitant to, to give out numbers. But again, some of this debt was trading in the, in the below 50 cents on the dollar. Yes. Uh, and, and for some of these people, they certainly doubled their money. Okay. And in terms of, um, I think one of the things for that would be helpful for Australian um, listeners and investors is that often you know they'll hear distressed debt, they'll hear insolvency and of course the laws in Australia around bankruptcy are quite different. They would, they would be expecting a situation where once a company becomes insolvent and enters bankruptcy and everything is pretty much wound up and if you're a creditor and you're in the line and you get a small amount of cents on your dollar you've done pretty well, you know, below 10 cents on the dollar type of thing. Um, it's quite different in the U.S. Can you explain a little bit for our listeners sure. that and why that gives you this opportunity? So the bankruptcy mm -hmm. process in the U.S. is actually uh, can be quite advantageous. Uh, what 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 we do here is we give companies time to fix themselves. We don't immediately wind up a business that is uh, suffering through, in some cases, just momentary trouble. Uh, there are times where a, a, a business is irretrievable, for lack of a better word, where they have a, a complete uh, breakdown in their normal product structure, they do something that was incredibly foolish, there was fraud or, or a number of other things, and that business is not salvageable, and it ultimately will be wound up, wound down, and it will cease to exist. And ultimately, in a, in a free market, capitalistic society, you want something like that. And the example I, I used before, I'll return to again, and that's the iPod. Uh, in the U.S., we used Walkmans 
for a long period, or Walkmen, I should say. They had them in Australia too. Yes, I didn't know that. No, I've never been to Australia, so I don't know if you have Walkmen. But, uh, so Walkmen exist, and uh, at some point someone came along and said, okay, we're going to make the portable CD player. And Walkmen went away, and I assume there was a company besides Sony that made Walkmen that also went away. And then eventually the iPod and the iPad came along, and that did away with portable CD players. And, and you want this sort of um, creative destruction to constantly exist in, in a society. And sometimes that creative destruction for a new company to be born, an old company need go away. So we have no problem with that in the US. However, other times, there are companies that just simply run into trouble. Perhaps uh, a retailer had a, a, an, a, a, an incorrect fashion choice. Uh, perhaps an industrial company had an error in one of their factories and they couldn't make product as quickly as they wanted, and so orders are pulled. What we do in the United States is we take a timeout, and we give these companies time to reorganize their business. And that's where companies like us, not only us, but companies like us can come into play. We can help advise a company how to restructure its business. I, I would use the phrase right size it. Perhaps they have too much debt. Perhaps they have too many lines of business. Perhaps management is making too much money. Perhaps there are any number of things that you could point to to suggest why a business might be in trouble. Our job is to come into, into that um, environment and help that company get back on its feet. Nobody makes, uh, I, I will strike that, let me rephrase that. It's profitable for everybody, for employees, for all stakeholders, for management, for society, and for us, if we can re-engineer this business and release it out into the world in, in, in as successful a state as we possibly can. And the United States is littered with companies that have done exactly that. We have a process in the United States that allows company to do that, to put pause on its creditors, to put a pause on its business, to keep operating, and eventually find the right way out. And it's an incredibly important part of the bankruptcy code, it's an incredibly important part of society, and I think ultimately the United States is stronger because of it, because we don't immediately do away with poor performing businesses. We give them a chance to prove that they can exist as what we call a going concern when that process is over. Excellent. Dan, and are there any particular sort of economic environments or market characteristics that are more favorable for a strategy like this than others? Uh, so the short answer is uh, it, it helps when there's uh, a, a bit of turbulence. Now, I want to be clear about this answer in that we can make money and there are opportunities in every single investment environment. Uh, if you ever watch CNBC, uh, Jim Cramer's on all the time and he says, uh, one of his go-to sayings is, there's always a bull market somewhere, I'm trying to help you find it. That's one of his catchphrases. And, and a phrase I use internally, although most people don't watch CNBC here so they don't know this as well, is there's always a bear market somewhere. Meaning, the economy is doing quite, quite well right now. Um, the, 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 the Federal Reserve is raising rates because they're worried about inflation. There's a lot of things right now that suggest the economy is doing just well. And yet, again, to return to, to a similar theme, retail is having a tremendous amount of trouble right now. So the fact that the economy is strong, excuse me, does not mean that there isn't an aspect of the economy that could be performing poorly. A year ago or so, it was coal companies. A few years before that, it was energy companies. Before that, it was telecom companies. You could point to these little slivers and slices of the US economy that go through these, these difficult periods of time. Uh, and it is, to some degree, independent of what's happening for the, with the broader economic cycle. That said, it's undeniable that during recessionary periods or poor economic periods, more sectors of the U.S. economy suffer distress than they do during positive periods of, of time like now. 
but there's nothing that, that says that there's nothing to do during a, a period such as today where we're quite busy and there are a number of different things that we're looking at. But it does help when there's a recession because you can, you can again, to the point I made before about buying debt at 30 or 40 cents on the dollar or stock prices that are, that are in the, the single digits, more of those opportunities present themselves when trouble arises. Um, it's just not exclusive to recessionary periods. And Dan, I understand these are both public and private companies and that they may, in fact, be have been public companies that re-emerge as private or vice versa? Yeah, so, so we're independent of whether a company is uh, public or private when it enters uh, trouble, for lack of a better word. Um, public companies offer, I think, a larger opportunity set. In the U.S., there's a significant number of, of, of public companies. Um, but, but we are not exclusive to one or the other. I think uh, a point that you're making is when we're done restructuring that business, there's nothing that says that that company need be a public company listed on the New York Stock Exchange, for instance, when we're done with it. It could emerge as a private company. And there are some advantages to doing that. It gives a company more time to reorganize its business without having to worry about answering uh, to, uh, to investors and analysts on a quarterly conference call. You can manage more for the cycle than you can on a sort of a quarterly EPS basis, which seems to bother a number of, of public management companies. Um, but so, so no, we're not exclusive to, to public or private on the way in, and we're not necessarily exclusive to public or private on the way out. And the portfolio tends to consist of around 100 investee or options, but really 20 to 30 of those at the core, what makes up the bulk of the position. Sure. Is that so, so, roughly correct? That's correct. That's, so Solus is a particularly concentrated, it's, it's funny to say with a, with a portfolio that consists of 100 investments that were particularly concentrated, but uh, in, in distress, one of the possible outcomes, as we talked about, is a liquidation of the company. And liquidations offer uh, a fairly stable, in some in, in, in many ways, attractive investment stream, uh, income stream. And so while we might hold 100 companies, a number of these are fairly stable, uh, steadily returning investments that are relatively small in size. These are companies that are, that are winding down or any, num any number of other possible outcomes during the investment process. They're relatively small. We run, despite that 100 number, we run a fairly concentrated book. That is to say, when we see an investment that we like, uh, again, this is a company that's normally in trouble. When we get our hands around how the process is going to look and unfold, uh, the portfolio managers are not afraid to really ramp up exposure. And unlike I mentioned before, Microsoft trading at 40, where the only thing you could do is continuously add Microsoft stock trading at $40 if you, if you feel comfortable um, with the particular investment, uh, in the capital structure of a business, there are all sorts of different investments that you can possibly be in. There are different levels or different tranches of debt from senior secu secured to unsecured debt to preferred stock to the common equity. Um, if you, it, w once we get our hands around how an investment is going to unfold, how the litigation process is going to unfold or how the business itself is going to unfold, the, the, the company's capital structure affords us a number of opportunities to increase that exposure, and it's not unusual for us to do that, to increase a given investment to call it 5, 6, 7% of the portfolio, which is fairly sizable. I think there's a sort of psychological level of 5% for a lot of hedge funds. They sort of cap how much they can uh, increase exposure uh, to a given investment to 5% to sort of limit their, not sort of, but to actually limit their downside risk. Uh, we have no sort of restraint in going up even larger than that if we think that the, 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 the investment affords us a, an attractive return. And Dan, I take it uh, for some of those high conviction ideas, 
that you have and particularly if you enter those pre-administration that you can actually enter those uh, via a debt structure that may give you more control um, through the process. Is that correct? That is correct. I, I think the portfolio managers would say we, that we punch above our weight. And what we mean by that is when we get involved in a large capital structure, uh, a, a, bankruptcy, a, bankruptcy, excuse me, a bankruptcy process with 10, 15, 20 billion dollars worth of debt uh, in the structure, uh, you can get involved and in the process of reorganizing a company, investors get together and can coordinate in a perfectly legal and acceptable way, but coordinate how the process is going to unfold. Um, you can help engineer, you can help restructure that company as a team uh, so that the outcome is, is particularly beneficial to the company and to investors together. And it, and it sounds like we're being activists. You see these names in the, in the, in the uh, on, on television and in the press, uh, you take an investment and you start agitating for the, the company to buy back stock or sell off that, uh, or sell off businesses. That's not what we do. We're we're active. We're not activists. Uh, meaning, we get involved in a process, and we can help. And again, in a totally normal and above board way, help restructure that business as a team so that everybody succeeds, not just the investors, but the company as well. And it's incredibly beneficial to everybody when everybody's working together to achieve that outcome. So yes, um, you, depending on where you are in the capital structure, you can be very involved in what the business looks like, both during the restructuring process and what it looks like on the way out. And Dan, one of the things our clients most like about this type of strategy is that its uh, returns and its return profile typically are uncorrelated to a lot of the traditional right. assets or equities they have. So I think globally long short equity is in trouble right now. Uh, as an industry we've had very, uh, we've had a little success proving that we can provide a return stream uh, above and beyond what something like the S&P 500 can do, uh, excluding fees over a lengthy period of time. So the long short equity market, the market that's most correlated and most anchored to the S&P 500 has seen uh, outflows and is really in trouble right now, again, to the extent that they're not able to demonstrate that they can provide a return profile meaningfully better than the S&P 500. Distressed debt investors suffer no such anchor. The S&P 500 is a barometer that we all look at, but it is not necessarily our benchmark. Our return profile is, is unconnected. Um, we we are, are not a public equity holder necessarily in the way that the S&P 500 is. Uh, and we can provide a diversified stream. We not we can, we do provide a diversified return profile that doesn't look like the S&P 500. So actually over time, what Solus has demonstrated is the ability to provide above market returns, the market being the S&P 500, with actually a lower level of risk. And I think for, for a number of investors, that's incredibly attractive. The idea that, that this investment, which doesn't look like the S&P 500 or a broad market index, the, the global index. So as an investor, you can still put money into, quote unquote, the stock market and get the stock market's returns via mutual funds or ETFs and not have to worry about some manager uh, getting paid too much money and not doing much better. But you can also allocate a portion of your investment to a fund like ours that does something entirely different from the S&P 500 and over time should provide an above market return. Dan, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us inside the rope. Great, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.